Jasmine, and welcome back to another episode of The Strand Cast. I have a very special guest today. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Tamara. Um, I used to be the senior copy editor of The Strand last year, and now I'm just a regular human person. And isn't that just so wonderful? <laughs> but you're still part of The Strand because you wrote something that I, I found incredibly interesting. Yeah, Abby... Uh, messaged me and asked me to write that and she was I think the fifth person who had like asked me to write something about cats we I feel like we get this like a couple times a year maybe where there will just be a piece of media that everyone wants to talk about in a very over-the-top or exaggerated way Mm -hmm. um and so it almost becomes like a performance on the part of you know the culture or the audience what Um, do you think it is about cats specifically that made people go so hog wild I think um, I mean it's it's interesting because it's sort of around the same time I think they released the Sonic the Hedgehog trailer as the same time (laughs) that they released the cats trailer and then they had just done the live action for the Lion King so it was suddenly this year of just we're going to be doing these live action slash CGI slash um, realistic looking, I mean, cats in the case of Cats and Lion King, I guess a hedgehog in the case of Sonic. But, but he's also like furry, which is so Yeah, gross. but a similar, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So Animals. I think something, yeah, something about, and, and what's, what, what the hedgehog and the cat have in common is they're like four-legged creatures Mm. um so they're not easy to turn into or to mesh with humans yeah yeah seeing them stand up on their hind legs or like be bipedal is really gross well and seeing a human like crawl around on their hands and knees doesn't really (laughs) cut it so yeah something about releasing the trailer of cats and and having that first sort of reaction I think um the movie was was doomed from then on and they didn't do what Sonic did which is they went back and changed the whole uh CGI yeah that's true but did they have to also um change cats uh later on because they realized the CGI didn't catch certain things like yeah so they hand yeah, her wedding ring was still on, yeah. But what what was weird about the movie, like, the the cut that I saw, anyway, um, what, like, they still had human hands, and it was, it was, the fur would just sort of morph gradually into the human hand, and then same with, they a lot of them were wearing Converse, and it was, like, the fur on their cat leg would sort of just gradually fade out into a converse shoe or like some of them were barefoot but they had just human feet Hmm. so they didn't do I mean I think it would have been quite easy to just give them some sort of cat-like mitten or paw (laughs) or CGI that along with you know the tails that they were doing and they didn't um but then somehow the Judy Dench's wedding ring was the part of that that was like, well, this is too much. We have to go back and edit this. But it's also, I think, one of the first times that um, they've done sort of a 
like, oh, this was just the first draft. All theaters, please discard. We'll be sending, you know, an updated version. Um, like, I don't, that's not normally done. <laughs> you no. normally just send in your movie and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the director said he was up really late the night before it was, you know, due or whatever, trying to do all these final touches, which just seems very... I don't know, very me in undergrad writing papers. Like, <laughs> But when you have so much money riding on it, you wonder why they took, went to such lengths to make it so bad, in a way. Or they, or they yeah. willfully neglected it. Yeah, I'm not. It's, you know, and that's sort of what's interesting, you know, because they had that time between the trailer and, and the movie. Um, they could have done something. They could, yeah, right. They could have. I think the only thing it. that they did was include Taylor Swift and her dad's um, suggestion that they have a catnip scene. Oh, that was a that was a new. Yeah, that was an article that I read that Taylor Swift ruined cats by uh, having a meeting with uh, director and producers saying that they wanted to have a catnip scene, or wouldn't it be funny if we had a catnip scene? And that was what fueled that huh. intense <laughs> moment in yeah. the film. Where nothing made sense. More so than everything <laughs> yeah, else well. not making sense. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you about Taylor Swift. Because you mm. said she is decidedly unsexy. So what do you think made her so unsexy? And like, why is that important? I think... I mean, I've seen... I have not seen Taylor Swift live. But like, I've seen YouTube videos. I've seen her you know, music videos. I've seen her dance. So I know that she is able to do the dance moves as they are choreographed and have it look good. Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of, you know, beauty standards right now, like she's, she's it, right? Mm -hmm. Like she's skinny, tall, blonde, um, all of the above. So, you know, not that I necessarily believe in objective beauty, but in terms of subjective beauty, she is absolutely, you know, hitting all of those markers of, like, what our society tends to consider sexy. Um, And yet somehow, like, my sister and I spent a long time trying to figure out what it was that happened. Because when you see her move in the movie, she looks almost like a video game character. Hmm. So we were wondering if maybe they had CGI'd her motions or CGI'd her body in a way that affected her motions more so than the other characters somehow I think she also I mean she's quite tall she's like 5 8 or 5'11 like she's Mm. tall yeah she Um, fits in with the Victoria's Secret uh, yeah so but she didn't look tall in the movie so I wonder if they had actually like tried to like (laughs) compress her (laughs) compress her sort of you know and she didn't look as thin as she is hmm. so I wonder you know if that's another thing but the result of it was just she didn't she didn't look you know not that any of the of the uh, char- characters cats looked natural but she looked far less natural mm-hmm. and that's in comparison to Rebel Wilson unzipping her cat suit to reveal another, cat. another <laughs> fur cat suit like yeah. And Taylor Swift still stood out to me as being just, you know, in comparison to what I have seen her do. Yeah. <laughs> not, um, 
not good. <laughs> I mean, her singing was good. It was it was on key. <laughs> she hit the notes. <laughs> um, the accent was horrific, but you know, you take what you can get. It happens, yeah. And also, like, you know, in re- in referencing Rebel Wilson and you know Judy Dench and Jason Derulo, so. What do you think the inclusion of these famous like actors and singers was an attempt to save a sinking ship, or do you think they were all just in on it? Because I just wonder how they got everyone to be on board with this when they could clearly see. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if they could see. Really, I think that's well. So here's the thing about Cats, right? Is it's it's a Broadway play, um, and it's not it's not known for being. Uh, of of a you know high high culture high art um, mm-hmm. quality, it's known as being this sort of plotless kind of mess that is entertaining. And so when people go to see Cats, they're not seeing it because the plot's interesting. They're seeing it one for the choreography, which is amazing. And they and that in the movie that was the the movie did get that right. You know the the ballet dancing in the movie was absolutely incredible and the choreography was like fun and engaging and just you know objectively good um and then I think also on Broadway you know they're wearing these you know they're wearing like furry leg warmers and they have the classic Halloween costume cat makeup on um so they're not trying to look like the, the cat anatomically. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You can um, very much tell. Yeah, they're just sort of, you know, it's they've they've done the the basic um they're wearing furry <laughs> furry clothing. <laughs> um and so you when you see it on Broadway that sort of makes sense. Like mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that when you're seeing Lion King on Broadway, they don't you know, they don't need they to have look puppets, like them, yeah. puppets or whatever. They use sort of techniques that are cat-like, but aren't trying to be a cat. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be just a weakness of the technology that we have. Even though we can't achieve very realistic-looking animals and creatures, it's just it dips into uncanny valley when it's yeah. Well, and I think that's you know, if they had gone just full um, CGI, you know, Lion King type. That would have been fine. And if they had done costumes, like if they had done this movie without CGI, yeah. if they had done just Broadway-like costumes, yeah, I think that would have also been fine. But it's the trying to, to hit somewhere in the middle that just, you know, becomes this creature that is not quite human. And that's <laughs> terrifying. Um, but I think... I think that's why, to answer your original question, people like Judy Dench and you know Ian McKellen would have been attached to this project in the first place, is because Cats is you know a, a good Broadway show in the sense that it's entertaining, it's fun, it's funky, it's weird, mm-hmm. um, and you go to see the choreography and to hear the singing and to walk out and just be like, wow, that was wild. Yeah, um, and it's also very queer inherently I think as a as a Broadway play like it very much attracts the queer audiences because it's a it's just a weird you know wacky sort of non-traditional genre bending you know border blending mess of a thing um yeah they couldn't they 
yeah, possibly couldn't know that it was going to turn out looking this way. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and yeah, now it's great. too late. You can, can never. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, for instance, Ian McKellen was like the only, um, the only redeeming actor in that movie. Like his, his part was, there's a part where he, um, the, he, camera just pans and he's just standing there like licking out of a bowl of milk. And that's hilarious for no, you know, and then he, um, sort of walks He's about to go on stage and he licks a uh, pole and just sort of mumbles, that's wood. And it's <laughs> like, see, you know, and so if they had sort of focused more on that mm-hmm. type of, you know, and not, not trying to turn it into a movie with a plot. Yeah. Because it does not have a plot and it shouldn't have a plot. And no. we should just leave it at It's just that. cats introducing themselves. Yeah. I mean, it's based on a short book about cats introducing themselves, <laughs> which was, you know, T.S. Eliot probably wrote that on opium. Mm-hmm. Like, who knows? <laughs> That's um, one of the things that I've also seen a lot of online people saying, like, oh, this is, like, even worse than any, like, trip I've done. You know, do you think, what do you think is worse, tr- going into Cats the movie and trying to take it seriously or going into it absolutely like perhaps potentially inebriated and just like trying to make fun of it oh do you like, ready to roll yeah. yeah so i i mean i'm sober so um Me i as well. i saw the movie sober um mm-hmm. so i didn't have the option to go and drunk although i might have you know if this was like five <laughs> years ago i think everyone i went with my cousins on christmas i think we were all sober but we certainly went in ready to be um, disgusted, entertained, terrified, all of the above. And I think what ended up happening is we were just sort of bored by the end of it. Ooh. And that's that was the, the feel of, of everyone in our theater. There weren't that many people, but um, there was a woman a couple aisle rows ahead of us who just by the sort of last half hour of the movie just kept saying, you know, like, God, when will this end? Get me out of here. And what's funny about that is no one was physically preventing her from leaving the theater. If she, you know, if it was that unbearable to her, she could have left. And that's something, like, my dad will frequently do during movies. You know, just why waste my time? This is bad, I'm leaving. Um, But something about Cats, people went in knowing that it was going to be bad and they were going to hate it. Reviews literally described it as an endurance test. Like, you don't go into an endurance test being like, hopefully this will at least be funny. That You know, there's nothing about (laughs) endurance that is, you know that's going to be like a challenging physical or psychological, you know, feat. Um, And so I think we sort of, we made that same mistake where we went in expecting it to be at the very least outrageous and over the top enough to just be hysterically funny the whole way through Mm -hmm. and it was hysterically funny for a bit and then it was just sort of boring and weird and dragged on and on and on and it felt like the type of you know, it felt, it felt like High School Musical 3 where every song, you're like, this surely will be the last song, and then there's another hour left of the movie. Like, that's... Mm-hmm. Um, or Les Mis. It's just like, oh, here we go, another up thought, you know, <laughs> when will the credits roll? Um, 
but we all still stayed mm-hmm. and that's sort of what you know going back to the audience reaction to this movie in particular is interesting to me is that it's somehow not enough to just watch this movie and not like it it has to then you have it becomes a performance for the audience as well where you have to like turn this bad experience of yours into your own art somehow either by Mm -hmm. writing an over-the-top review of it you know calling it like this is the end of all things whatever whatever Mm -hmm. or you know talk tweet about it in my case talk to you know whatever it is it it becomes um it becomes this active performance of I need to make this productive in some way almost like I can't just accept the fact that you know I wasted money and time and move on um it had like it has to be worth it in some way Mm -hmm. and that really interests me because to some extent that's what that that's a strategy that I have always used in uh to to cope with sort of bad things in life yeah um and like I've talked about this with my therapist where it's like if I have a bad day or something bad happens I have to turn it into like an entertaining anecdote or um useful advice or a funny tweet or like I have to do something with it in order to like uh like change that you know energy into something something else like it's it can't you know the the other option would be if you have a bad day you go home and you like snap at whoever right you know Mm -hmm. your roommates your family whatever productive about it right and instead it's like okay well I don't want to I need to transform this Mm -hmm. bad energy so that instead of like continuing Mm -hmm. the chain reaction of being rude or snappy instead I'm trying to transform it into something good or like art wise and I think a little bit that's what happened with cats it's like all these reviews were trying to be funny yeah trying to be something it wasn't enough to just be like that was a movie thank you next you know yeah they have yeah the culture is very reactive so we we need to react to whatever comes because that's the only way that we're going to stay relevant in some ways or even just you know be a productive person because sometimes just like generating your own action just like it doesn't seem like enough so you have to generate reactions to almost anything yeah it's very like clickbaity yeah, like it's not like, enough to just be like here's a review yeah it's it a has Twitter to be mentality. like this was the goddamn worst mo-, you know <laughs> like this is the end of society but in a way then that means that cats was extremely successful because it just hit that sweet spot just ridiculous enough for you to go in and try to see it yeah and well then, I mean <laughs> just all, boring enough yeah. for you to want to hate it and say all, something about uh, it. press is good press type mm-hmm. of type of thing I don't know I I should have looked into like if any of the actors have um said anything about it or if they're just sort yeah. of laying low maybe they signed a certain contract that oh, that's interested them from any comments about their that contract will expire in about a year and we'll see them all come out like all right <laughs> then we can finally write an article about their perspective yeah <laughs> okay well thank you very much for joining me on this episode thanks for having me okay next up we have an interview with Anne, and it's going to be about the student choice initiative so stay tuned
Okay, I'm here with Anne Elpa, uh, the Strand's uh, co-news editor. She recently published a piece about the Student Choice Initiative. Um, we're going to start this portion of the podcast by talking about um, just a brief history of the Student Choice Initiative. Can you give me like a one-minute history of... Oh, one minute's like pretty short. Okay, can you give me a two-minute history I'll of... I'll try. Like, am I going to get timed? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. No. Um, so back in January 2019, I believe, Premier Ford announced that he was going to cut tuition by 10%. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, okay, like, this is a little too good to be true. And it was too good to be true because mm-hmm. with the tuition cut or the tuition freeze came the Student Choice Initiative. So that was basically cutting any unnecessary like student services or incidental fees so students have the option to opt out of like levies or anything that they don't necessarily need so that includes mm. newspapers like the strand mm. um services like the downtown legal fees which have taken a really big blow from the student choice initiative mm. and things like that at first a lot of students were pretty upset because a lot of people don't realize the value of student levies especially mm-hmm. when you need it the most or when something unexpected happens yeah because so, m- oh. sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. but many of these levies also fight for student rights on campus right. like uh, utsu and um i mean just student newspapers mm-hmm. in general um sorry continue and yeah it's pretty detrimental like mm-hmm. i wouldn't want to like see like on my part or like my end let's just say if i was on the UTSC, like I wouldn't want to see a dro- decline of these services because a majority of students opted out. So of course it would it was unfair for these student groups. And so there was a legal opposition by these student groups. Right. Um, can you talk a bit about that? So the CFS or the Canadian Federation of Students, along mm-hmm. with a few other student unions, including the York University Student Union, mm-hmm. sued. Um, the government, of course, because they were taking away power and they were overstepping their role. Mm-hmm. So it was a little clear. It was kind of funny because the Student Choice Initiative didn't really explicitly say at first what was being cut. They were just saying that they were going to cut unnecessary fees. Yeah. And later we learned that mandatory or kind of quote unquote mandatory services like career fees, academic fees, um, they were all covered under like wouldn't say covered under the student choice initiative but they were excluded yeah and this legal battle took i feel like it was from september to october or correct me if i'm wrong but it took quite quite a fight mm. and quite a lot of um student protests i know it was like pretty hectic yes. for them. and mid-november mm-hmm. Um, the court ruled in favor of these student groups mm-hmm. and saw that the provincial government was overstepping their role, especially with controlling how these funds should be spent and yeah. controlling how student groups should use their fees. Mm-hmm. And on December 9th, the provincial government announced that they'll be filing an appeal against a court ruling. So mm-hmm. they're not necessarily like counteracting, but they're filing an appeal yeah, to get it to like, retry. retracted. Yeah. So um, you'll see and uh, during this kind of period of uh, limbo, during the initial trial and now during the appeals trial, um, how were these student groups informed about how their funding would be affected? Did they know? Um, 
where they told the percentages by which people would opt out of these fees? Mm-hmm. Um, um, well, I can give an example with like Vic or Vsat. Yeah. So in September or at U of T, mm-hmm. when you log on to Acorn, you're given that little prompt, hey, um, you have until September 19th to opt out of your student fees. Mm-hmm. And students had a little drop down selection of any fees that they want to like opt out of. So you could just select and just see exactly how much each service costs. Mm-hmm. So after September 19th, VSAC was informed. And so far, I actually have numbers over here. Um, there was an overall incidental fee opt-out average of 23.7%, which was pretty good given the whole um, campaign. I think it was- The opt-in campaign. The opt-in campaign yeah. from U of T. It's been kind of a while, I forgot what it was. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but it's still a quarter of your funding that you that, that right. uh, mm-hmm. an organization like Vusac would lose. I mean, it was choose U of T. There you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and to be totally um, kind of for the sake of clarity, mm-hmm. us at the Strand, we are a levy, and right. we also lost funding we, we did. for because of the Student Choice Initiative. Mm-hmm. So I can't claim that this is impartial reporting in any way, because <laughs> um, I, as a part of a levy. Mm-hmm consider student funding to be integral to student life Mm -hmm. especially creating community on campus Mm -hmm. i also find that quite a lot of part-time students versus full-time students opted out which Mm -hmm. did make sense because let's just say if i was a part-time student like oh why would i like buy into this if i'm not really using it i feel like that was mentality when people opted out of their fees um and this is occurring also at a time when um OSAP is being cut by the Ford right. government. The grants mm. and scholarships to loans ratio is starting to dip further and further in the loans. Um, and it's a distressing time for a lot mm. of students. So do you think that the Student Choice Initiative and these OSAP cuts are intentionally timed together or are they a part of a larger policy by the Ford government to kind of draw back on public funding for public schooling, post-secondary public schooling? It was kind of weird, especially since the whole 10% tuition thing was a little too good to be true. So perhaps they retracted the OSAP from that. And I remember, I believe it was December of 2018 or a little like before that, the liberal government was criticized for spending too much on OSAP, especially Mm -hmm. since students were given free tuition or some students were given free tuition under an income bracket and a lot of people said oh why isn't my child be like being given that like why do I have to pay for someone else's child just to go to university Mm -hmm. and I find that especially dealing with the whole loans versus grants ratio it's a lot harder just to get third-party funding too, especially applying yes. to all these scholarships. Yes. And there's only a certain amount of money and a certain amount of students. So the whole question is like, what are you gonna do? And like, mm. how are you gonna like pay the interest after? Because I got an email the other day mm. from OSAP. I'm not graduating by the way. Um, about a reminder just to pay off my interest and that that little cutoff date between when I graduate and when I pay off my OSAP is kind of like iffy so I'm kind of not gonna lie I'm pretty worried about that yeah because formerly there was a six-month grace period right. before um, any interest would be accumulating on your student loans mm-hmm. but 
with these cuts in OSAP funding by the Ford government, um, that grace period has been eliminated. And that's not great yeah, <laughs> for someone like you who's going to be graduating soon. And it's also, definitely not great for like a lot of my friends who already have jobs yes. and they have that money, but then they spend most of it not just on living expenses because like Toronto recently was, I think it outweighed or outcosted San Francisco in terms of living expenses. Wow. So on top of that, it's just like paying your interest in student loans. Mm. And I'm looking at my OSEP application now and now I am actually pretty scared. Um, back to the student choice initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, now that the student mm-hmm. choice initiative has been appealed, um, it's waiting to be appealed. Yes, it's kind of like an, Sorry, an n- iffy period. Yeah. <laughs> now, now that the student choice initiative has been struck down mm-hmm. and is being waited on to be appealed, um, is there still the option to opt out, or wh- how does that infrastructure now look? Well, for U of T students, eight, like I think as of recently, I went on to Acorn and a few universities, including U of T, have kind of paused that since there is like a gray line or a gray area before, mm-hmm. because of that. Um, so thankfully, people aren't given the option to opt out, which is pretty yes. good. But then again, we can't be too sure, especially with the whole like thing with the Court of Appeals, yeah, and the Ontario government. Um, are you optimistic that the Court of Appeal will once again strike down Well, then this again, you initiative? can't be too sure, because at first I was, like, caught off guard with the whole student choice initiative. Like, mm. I remember the exact moment when it happened, and the whole pandemonium in student newsrooms everywhere. Yes. <laughs> like, especially, like, how are you going to have a magazine? How are you going to, like, yeah. find people going to conferences and, yeah. like, doing all this, like, really cool stuff and, like, yeah. holding people accountable? And he- here at The Strand, we... Uh, we held back on publishing in print for several of our fall semester issues before Mm -hmm. the Student Choice Initiative was struck down because of our concerns about funding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyways, thank you, Anne, for being on this podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, It's great talking to you. segment of the pod where we have special guest Eric and we will be discussing least and most favorite memes. Um, my name is Jen. And I'm Jasmine. And I'm Noah. And I'm Eric. There he is. There he is. Him. Eric's here. <laughs> Who would like to go board. first? I think, I mean, I can go first and we can go around the circle. All right, Jasmine, you go first. Well, yes. Uh, so I just have to say my favorite meme, I'm going to start off with the good stuff. Please. My favorite meme is... <laughs> The Skyrim, uh, real-life Skyrim uh, meme. It's very niche. It's, like, where a guy walks into a room and there's, like, there's, like, the Skyrim, like, stuff in mm-hmm. front of him and he goes, Nobet Pliev! And then he turns, like, he's in the, in the <laughs> like, a character, an NPC. Just he walks, walks into the wall. He walks through, a, like, a bunch of chairs and <laughs> sits down. Like, that is my favorite meme. Not, It's not a popular niche. meme. It's yeah. very niche. But uh-huh. it feels just, like, it's just... It's perfect character acting. It's well produced. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can't I say enough about those. how much I respect. What the pages is that shared on? Um, like it's just on Tumblr, so there's no page. It's literally just like a true mom. Where do you find your memes? <laughs> page the right word. Who is I don't this? Know. As if it's no, your they friend. definitely make like like video game and like uh, like 
video game memes. Yeah, when pages, they like those will pop. That's when what I was. Yeah, when the guards are like they they sense your presence and yeah. they start running, <laughs> but they like are ineffective at their jobs. I love those yeah, memes. I'm not even scale. that much of a gamer. I just yeah, love seeing people move in uncoordinated ways. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and do you have a least favorite? I do have a least favorite, mm. and I don't think anyone's really going to disagree with me on this one, but it's the Harlem Shake. Yeah. Oh, that's dated. Yeah. It's disgusting. It has no value. There is no thought in there. But They're just playing a song and a wiggling question? around. What makes the Harlem Shake worse than, say, like the mannequin challenge or like? That's what I said. Hey, yeah. Like, what's the yeah. difference? I think they're all awful. That that is true. I I would mm-hmm. say that the Harlem Shake stands out from those like like challenge type mm-hmm. uh, videos the, as the worst one is the first and the biggest yeah it, yeah sure even the guy who started the harlem shake regretted it afterwards so filthy frank, filthy frank, filthy frank. like already regrets it so like if you can get him to regret something that is a big deal especially filthy frank <laughs> yeah he really doesn't regret so that's me and also okay by the way i have mm-hmm. to say the royal family even did a harlem shake yeah. No one oh, thinks it's did. funny. I, I didn't think, see it. I think that means that it's gone too far. It's stale and it has no market value. What year? Value. This was back in like twenty thirteen. Yeah, time ago. I think it's really funny because it's kind of like the meme went too far and got really boring, and like your mom's workplace was doing it, and then it went <laughs> and like the least accessible people on planet Earth did it, and that kind of revived it because it was like, oh, this is really lame, and it's so lame that even these people these know about people were so out of touch they know about it and they do it you know? <laughs> well i stand by my opinion harlem shake is really bad please back me up in the comments all right i, I agree noah um uh i think i would say that i'm gonna start with my least favorite meme i think that dat boy is my least favorite meme of the decade oh, shit, what can up? you explain dat boy dat boy is a 3d generated image of a frog on a unicycle coming into wherever he's going and usually the caption is oh shit it's that boy mm-hmm. um and he's he can be rolling into anywhere anywhere a fire station a mcdonald's <laughs> there's just no context yeah that boy was just there exam hall yeah mm-hmm. uh and uh, like I think it's just like a one-hit wonder. It's you can't do very much with it, and that's like I don't think it's terrible innately. I think originally it was funny, but it was just overused, and you can't really do a lot with it other than just being like, "Oh, look, here's a new setting, and Dat Boy's here." You know, like <laughs> I don't think that's funny. Um, my f- favorite meme is not a singular meme or a singular trend. It's kind of a category of memes which Jasmine described as data memes, um, as in the... Dada art movement. Yeah. Neo-Dadaism. Oh, what? Um, (laughs) Because things like the, 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 like, emoji smiley face reaching out at you and being like, (laughs) come into the screen. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen these. Okay, well, I was just showing Jasmine all of my favorite memes, and she was like, these are just absurdist memes. These are just, like, deep-fried... Absurdist, like with the emoji with like the sunglasses like pointing out. Yeah, the, that, like... or the the emoji with like kind of like the sunken and bleeding yeah. eyeball. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god, that I don't one. think I've ever seen. I don't think I've when ever they seen edit this. the cry emoji and it has like wide awake eyes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, things like that. Um, yeah, stuff like that. They're timeless. I can understand that. Yeah, um, I'm into that. I think that the internet is kind of an amalgamation of all of 
humanity's id and so kind of really diving into that energy <laughs> a very absurd place is where I like to go you know beautiful thank Friday. you so much Noah uh-huh. um, Eric go off well to kind of counter Noah I really don't like deep fried memes <laughs> I think they are generally pointless and that's I, the point though no but I appreciate nonsensical memes yeah. like if I look at something and it makes no sense or like there's a video and it's just absolute chaos 95% of the time I'll love it like those memes that are like I don't know what's funny anymore because I'll see a picture and it'll just say juice underneath and I'll be like <laughs> that is that is pure comedy you know mm. but deep fried memes I don't know I have a particular hate for when they like look all like rainbow colored and distorted and generally if they're a video and in like some sort of loud blaring noise for no reason yeah in the in the wrong hands deep fried memes can truly become a horror they, they yeah. become disgusting i mean it's kind vile. of hard, it's kind of hard to defend against that because like it is i'm arguing for a whole category so there are going to be bad deep fried memes what is so a, bad eggs in there what what are deep fried memes when you hit sharpen on the image way yeah. too yeah. hard yeah high contrast times. high saturation it becomes distorted, all pixelated very high so yeah, everything yeah. just looks wrong. It's about like it. sometimes it's reddish orange. Yeah, you know? that's usually what it ends up looking. Yeah. It's like someone cool. like bled out a little bit onto <laughs> the image, and then they just like kind of like instead of like actually cleaning it up, they just rub their hand over it and spread <laughs> it out a bit. So now we know Eric's opinion, <laughs> but, it's, but, it, but it's purposely done. Yeah, yeah, but they were like, "This is what I want. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> this this is, is good." Is. <laughs> then just make the eyes of whatever character it is enormous, mm. and that's that's art. Yeah. Um, so I don't love it. I'm not a fan. Right. That's fair. And uh, I have uh, two, two favorites to go with. Uh-huh. Uh, first of all, I love this very niche community of uh, they'll take images from Sesame Street episodes and then they will put the most disturbing uh, comments as the context for those images. Yep. Generally centered around, um, usually these are pictures with children in them. So generally centered around like being horrible monsters that that kill children. Uh, yeah, Eric showed me some of these memes before recording, and I do not endorse them whatsoever. <laughs> they are pretty horrific. What makes them so great? I think it's just like I don't know, like to see like your childhood, and then to have it reflected in a way that like, is so centered good. around something so vile and horrible. So subversive. Yeah, it is absolutely, and sometimes they're just absolutely hilarious too, like implying that. I don't know, like Bert and Ernie are constantly on drugs, or that oh, yeah, yeah. Big Bird is like chasing down and murdering children. Right. <laughs> um, I kind of regret bringing you on the pod now. <laughs> and kill, now, kill. Don't worry, because my second, my other favorite meme category is the perfectly balanced. As all things. Should as be. all things should be. Oh. The Thanos meme. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Thanos oh yeah, did yeah, 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 yeah. From from Infinity War. That's fine, I guess. <laughs> I don't, it's when just been snaps? utilized. Hmm? When he snaps? Or just... No, no, no. When he's like explaining to them like why he needs to do this. And he's just like... And yeah. then the universe will be perfectly balanced as all things should be. He has this like blade that he shows Gamora and he balances it on his finger. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember you that know? part. Yeah. It's like... Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so beautiful and poetic. And then it's been used nonsensically in so many different situations. And I've... 
uh, incorporated into my lexicon. Yeah, I also And I use it constantly. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny that there's like a Reddit called Dennis did nothing wrong and then half of them got purged out of that <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't have any control over it. That's, honestly, that's honestly Thanos has given us so much in the meme community mm-hmm. in the past two years. A big old purple thumb. Yeah. Jen, do you want to just like, I know you don't have a favorite, but sure. since you said that you had a least favorite, you might I as well do. add. I will, I will add to the least favorite, which is 100% moth memes, purely because moths are gross to look at. They're not funny. But they love lamp. Yeah. Lamp is probably the best part of the moth meme. Like yeah. the, well, that's the only part of the it. Even like it earths, you know, like brother, can I have some earths? You know, no. Oh. I've, I've seen the loops I don't know one. What that is. I've loops, seen the loops. Yeah, it's the loops one. I actually so like the loops. The very fat. Actually, cat yeah, I'm gonna add now. Add to my favorite meme is the. Uh, please, can I have some more loops? And it's the cat. <laughs> the fat you know cat. About? Yeah, that's a really good. That one made me laugh. That one's amazing. Yeah, I'm gonna say that one. That one's a force for good. Yeah, I didn't understand it, but it's um. That that's most memes. You don't un- you don't understand. Well, that's what, yeah, they call to your soul, and that's what I'm gonna say is my my fave. So if you know a man's memes, you know his soul. I forgot about the loops. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening Thank to you. our quick fire round. Thank you so much. Now you know our souls. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>